Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org and hosted by the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia. That is I, NC Scout, and today I am honored to be joined once more by a guy that I consider and, and in the minds of many to be the father of the modern survivalist movement the modern prepping movement in the modern era and a guy who has just been a a incredible influence and a huge influence on so many people out there and getting people woke up and prepared and giving them all of the tools and knowledge through his excellent book series uh several of them uh really laying the foundation for so many great things but without further ado, I am joined by Mr. James Wesley Rawls of survivalblog.com. Mr. Rawls, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, just jumping right into things, uh, the world is is really seeming to be spinning out of control rapidly. We're kind of uh, on the precipice of uh, World War Three, or what's looking like World War Three, there's certainly, um, you know, the, the the warfare component to it, and you know, a, a lot of people are, uh, it, it's it's a lot more than saber rattling, obviously, and a lot of people are really starting to get nervous because, you know, there, there's talk about food rationing, there's talk about uh, you know, the, the dollar potentially hitting free fall. And I think that there's a lot of validity to that. A lot of economic issues that are going along with that and a lot of challenges that, that we're seeing. So in your worldview and, and what you're looking at, because you, you've got this 50,000 foot view and, and, you know, you, you have been historically very accurate on things both that you've predicted and your assessments on stuff. What do you see coming down the pipe and really how how can people best prepare for it at this point in time? Well, I think we're obviously going to see a lot of economic turmoil. There's uh, a a huge risk right now, with, uh, certainly with an inverted yield curve. There's a huge risk of a recession at the very minimum and a depression more likely in America's near future. And I think that's important that people uh, reposition themselves in terms of their investments. They need to stock up, team up and train up with their friends because this recession may turn into a depression and we may uh, see some pretty severe crime coming out of the big cities and um, possibly a scenario much like I portrayed in my novel Patriots, where you have looters from the big cities heading out into the countryside. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, and, and I've had that, uh, particularly the first few chapters of your book, in the back of my mind, especially here recently, um, because the, the the way that you described it then, it was very interesting with, uh, you know, your, your protagonist, Todd Gray, um, having his his office meetings and, and they were talking about the, the, you know, the breakdown of the economics and kind of the writings on the wall. And they brought the Russian guy in and he was talking about, you know, at the post-Soviet era when the ruble was in free fall. And then the Argentinian guy comes in and, uh, you know, and, and they were describing different economic scenarios that were very real 
very, very real. And what we're seeing now is, you know, the, the dollar, the idea of weaponized sanctions that, you know, have, have kind of been the the uh, the the big stick, so to speak, as Teddy Roosevelt would would label it, of American foreign policy and American influence uh, backed up, you know, by by the U.S. dollar and the purchasing power of the, of the petrodollar. Mm-hmm. And Russia has literally put that in check. And, and we're seeing one of the world's largest economies. India now has dumped the dollar and is trading in rubles for oil there. They're, uh, as of yesterday, uh, today is, is uh, 1 April 2022. As of yesterday, oil coming out of Russia was being sold at $35 a barrel, which is, I mean, basically kicking off an old school price war. Right. And we're, you know, we're, we're kind of left holding the bag like, uh oh, you know, what, what do we do next? Because this this strategy of economic sanctions has always kind of worked in the past. And now all of a sudden it's not. Yeah, we I think the the era of dollar dominance is ending. In fact, the dollar may completely lose its its world reserve currency status. And if and when that happens, we can look for the dollar itself to nosedive. You know, the dollar has been unnaturally strong. Uh, that started back in the, the Trump era. If that's continued simply because of the, the instability that we face has been even greater in Europe and in Asia. But I think we'll, we're going to see a turnaround and it's not going to be a fortunate one for the American people because we're going to feel a lot of pain, particularly with imported goods. I agree. I agree. And the the purchasing power of the dollar here domestically is going to be greatly diminished. I think that that's just kind of a, you know, and, and I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it just seems like to me when we're uh, how many trillions of dollars in debt? I mean, it, it's a because and I say it that way. I know it's north of 20 trillion now. But that's only the the one aspect of it. We have unfunded liabilities, which are estimated possibly at 10 times that number. No, no amount of money at this. No, no amount of money in this quantity has ever existed. And so So, when we talk about national debt, there's there's no way that we're going to surmount that. Right. It's, It's mathematically impossible to pay off the national debt except under one circumstance, and that is hyperinflation of the United States dollar, where then uh, debts could be repaid in greatly diminished dollar units. And I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to inflate their way out of the problem. And as a fringe benefit, you know, uh, President Biden just announced that he was supporting a tax plan on multimillionaires uh, based on not annual income, but based on net worth at a a flat 20% tax. Well, what's going to happen if we have hyperinflation and everyone becomes millionaires, then everyone will be in that tax bracket. It's it's a win-win for the federal government. We'll we'll all be millionaires, but the dollar will be worth, those millions of dollars will be worthless. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that that's an excellent point. And I think, uh, you know, they, they have at least signaled in the past that they are looking to nationalize 401ks. I think that's absolutely on the table. Yeah, uh, that, that's their their other exit strategy is to uh, you either massively inflate the dollar or you massively increase your tax base. But it's not normally politically acceptable or, or politically survivable to massively increase the tax base without causing a revolt. But if they tell everyone, oh, well, we're nationalizing your 401ks and, and there's going to be a national retirement program to supplement your Social Security and uh, everything going into that is going into the stock market and at, and everyone knows the stock market goes up. You know, that's the kind of, of reasoning right. that we try to foist on people. 
So it, right. it's going to be an ugly situation regardless. I, I do recommend that people plan ahead for massive economic dislocation and, you know, the possibility of losing one's job, having losing one's home. That's the situation we're going to be in. It's, it's going to be uh, an enormous, almost intractable situation. Yeah, I agree. And it, it it's happening quick. Uh, it, it's happening very, very quickly. You know, a, a lot of people out there, I know that, that you've been a longtime advocate of precious metals. I have as well. You know, and I, I learned that from my grandparents. Uh, I was fortunate enough. You know, I am technically a millennial. I'm at the very, very edge of Generation X, uh, early millennial. And I was fortunate enough to have my grandparents, uh, both sets of grandparents, both sides of my family in, in into my adult life and just soaked up so many lessons from that generation. And, um, you know, precious metals has always been the forefront of, uh, you know, a, a savings plan. And, you know, learning from from both of my granddads setting me down and saying, this is money. OK, this this is real money. And I feel like that, that a lot of people are waking up to that lesson again. Talking about precious metals, what, what would be your advice for somebody that's getting into that market as a hedge against hyperinflation? Well, for anyone who's well-heeled, I think gold is and platinum are probably uh, the logical choices for the majority of your portfolio. For regular, you know, working class more middle class people, silver, I think, is actually the better choice. As long as you've got secure storage space, if you already own a gun vault, then odds are you've got the storage space. There's nothing like a few bags of junk silver in the bottom of your gun vault for ballast to make sure that vault never gets stolen. Uh, and then for anyone who's on a really tight budget, I recognize, I, I recommend the uh, the current circulating United States nickel five cent coins. You can buy those at face value. Just walk into your bank, say, I, I want to buy a few boxes of nickels. Can you order them in for me? They'll usually hand those to you at cost. There's no surcharge, depending on the type of account you have. They're just going to hand them to you right at face value. And right now, uh, Typical United States nickel, which is um, part copper, part nickel, is worth in melt value around nine cents. So you have just walking out of the bank, you've made nearly a 100 percent profit. With those boxes of nickels. It's a, it's a no brainer. And even if the price of nickel were to collapse, you could still spend those nickels at face value. So you've lost nothing. That's right. You know, it's it's nickel and, and nickel had a, a heck of a surge in value. And I think that it's going to continue to do so. Um, you know, it, and I think that the, the listeners should go out there and, and really start to pay close attention to some of these metals. Copper. Uh, this was something I was talking about with Chris Weatherman, Angry American, in, in uh, the last episode recorded yesterday. Copper, I think, is getting ready to have a jump in value as well. There's a copper mine out in Utah that is uh, uh, about to go on strike. And, you know, that the, the chances are very high. It's United Steelworkers that's uh, going to go out on the strike that's orchestrating it. So the chances are very high that, that they're going to negotiate it pretty quickly. Uh, but that being said, maybe they won't. Uh, we, we don't know. And this can all affect short term copper prices. So uh, right. copper may be another investment. And, and re right now, at least a relatively inexpensive one that's easy to get into. Yeah, uh, I, I've got to warn your listeners that don't buy copper rounds. Those are ridiculously overpriced. And. Uh, even if you buy pre-1982 U.S. pennies, you're going to have to pay a premium. But if you get U.S. nickels, they're 70% copper, 30% nickel. You're getting both copper and nickel when you stockpile nickels. Now, that's a good point. That's a good point. I personally, I was buying copper uh, 
when I was buying it, I was actually buying it in a tangible form uh, in solid copper rods. So because it, that's a, a common utility item to use sure. as a grounding rod and anything, but you can also cut it or melt it and, and really do anything that you need to do with it. it it's, uh, you know, and, and I learned that trick a long time ago as far as investing in copper back before the, the first big yeah. copper boom back yeah, in copper, the mid 2000s. Copper, copper grounding rods are there. There you're paying just over the spot price of copper. Uh, it's a very low premium. And, you know, one of the key things about barter items is they need to be divisible and fungible. Well, a copper grounding rod is both. It's divisible. You can just break out your bandsaw and cut it to whatever length you want for a barter transaction. Yep. And it's fungible, meaning that any unit of that is basically identical to another unit of that. Uh, and and those two factors are two of the, the really key factors for barter currencies. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it was just something that it was brought up to me uh, by a friend and, uh, you know, back in the, the mid 2000s. And, you know, I had never really thought about it in, in those terms. Because, you know, you can, you can go to any hardware store and get copper grounding rods. And you you literally have a giant hunk of copper, and it, you know at that time is relatively inexpensive. It's still not not too bad, uh, but right. copper jumped in value, had a a huge jump in value there for a little while, and it it never really came back down that much, um, right. you know. So it you know it it was a good strategy. And um, going back to silver, talking about silver as far as a, a working class investment, I, I agree wholeheartedly and have uh, a huge quantity of silver uh, stored. And at least my strategy has been to buy it in pre-divided amounts. So mm -hmm. all the way up to one ounce rounds. Because, uh, you know, you, you can typically get one-tenth of an ounce, uh, one-twentieth in a lot of the, the different uh, private minages. You can get those and then all the way up to one-ounce rounds. Uh, for people who are starting out investing in, we'll, we'll say silver in the beginning, because uh, for a lot of people, that's a more accessible investment than gold, at least in in the the near term if they're just starting out and, and that's my opinion just based on shock value of, of prices and whatnot but um talk us through the the differences between uh picking up silver from private managers uh such as like sunshine mint which is and and uh golden state mint which are two that um i go to that that i personally look for because i think that they they make very nice coins it's high quality uh but then there is uh american silver eagles uh you know the the walking liberties there's mexican libertads which uh a few years ago before their jump their huge jump in price over spot i invested pretty heavily in uh and of course uh britannia's and and everything else what would be your choice and options when it comes to picking out a a mint whether it's private whether it is uh a state-run mint what would be your choices well um the problem you run into with silver is the premium and right now the premiums on silver are very high i've heard of dealers charging right now as much as 14 dollars over spot for U.S. American Eagles, which I think is is, is just ridiculous. Uh, the best way to buy silver is to buy on distress, meaning you're going to be buying from uh, divorce sales or estate sales, where it's a situation where someone is just looking to liquidate their silver and they might be willing to sell it near spot. Because right now the premiums are way over spot. And of course, the smaller the, the coin, the higher premium per ounce you're going to be paying because there's a, a minting cost with every coin, whether it's a, a one-tenth ounce or quarter ounce or one ounce coin, they all are going to cost a few dollars to produce. 
So uh, you're going to pay a much higher premium premium on the smaller coins if you buy them on the primary market. But if you're buying on the secondary market out of someone's estate, then that premium kind of disappears or at least is normalized. So you're going to end up paying less per ounce even on the small coins if you're buying secondary market. And that's the, the thing to look for. I know it's difficult to find, but if you're someone with time on your hands, say you're a retiree, for example, you can take the time to watch the eBay auctions, to w- look for newspaper ads, uh, watch for estate sales. And the thing to do is look for ads that have a phone number att- or email attached the email address attached where you can inquire, is there any silver in your estate? The other advantage to buying from an estate is you're buying old silver versus new silver. With new silver, we currently have a problem with Chinese counterfeits flooding the market. And those are very uh, difficult for most people to spot. And I would recommend that if you're buying Look for old silver because there's far less chance of buying counterfeits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that that the Chinese were uh, they had a, a pretty decent counterfeiting operation going on with gold as well, particularly in the bars. Yeah. Uh, in, so in silver, they've mainly been counterfeiting Morgan dollars and peace dollars, but they've even been counterfeiting. U.S. American eagles, you know, uh, from the U.S. Treasury from, or from the from the U.S. Mint, uh, they've even been counterfeiting those. So you got to be very careful of who you buy from. Um, and there's actually a counterfeit detector uh, available that's very simple to use. It's made by a company in South Africa called Fish, F-I-S-C-H, and it's a um, it's a combination caliper and teeter totter scale. For coins, uh, it's got a slot uh, for the coin to go through, and if the coin is too thick or too wide, it's not going to go through that slot. And then it's got a circular cutout for the diameter of the of the coin, and if the coin doesn't fit there, then you know you have a counterfeit. And it's also when it's in that slot, the the fish. Uh, piece it's a piece of plastic really uh, will if you push it down it it will teeter-totter one direction or the other indicating whether or not it's a fake and it's fairly easy for the counterfeiters to fake by weight or by dimension but it's almost impossible for them to fake by based on both weight and dimension if you have you know, in the case of gold, they use a tungsten filler. Uh, you can't you can't get around all of those tests. Again, it's called the fish, F-I-S-C-H. They make them for silver coins, for gold coins, uh, for Krugerrands, American Eagles, uh, the Platinum Liberty. They make they make them for, for all these different coins. You can buy them in sets. Uh, they have a, a gold set and a silver set for anyone who, who's a serious precious metals investor now living in this age of Chinese counterfeiting, that is money well spent because just one fake coin uh, is the, the loss you would take on that is far more than you'd, buy, you'd spend on buying a set of these fish calipers. And again, just look for the fish, F-I-S-C-H, on uh eBay or on uh, just do a web search and you can find them uh, pretty widely available. That's outstanding. Uh, I know uh, typically that that coin dealers, especially around here, will use an acid test as a quick test. But, you know, that that the Chinese figured out, you know, to counterfeit it, you can just clad whatever in a, a very small amount uh, of gold, and then you were you were talking about um, how they they were counterfeiting uh, gold, and in particular, and I knew that the the gold bars were uh, had had a, a severe potential there for a little while of, of counterfeiting, and and so you really couldn't trust the the acid test, 
um, and and with silver, I, I was not aware that they were doing this to the degree that that they're doing it with silver, though. Uh, yeah, so that's just, that's just come on in the last couple of years. So again, there's a big advantage in buying old silver, and uh, and just knowing who you're buying from. And of course, anything that's slabbed uh, in low grade numismatic silver or gold is obviously going to be authentic because that, that's gone through PCGS or NGC um, for certification and grading. That would be safe to, to buy as well. And in terms of brands of silver, um, I think in today's market with premium so outrageously high, you really can't be too picky. Yeah, I love to buy Englehard or Sunshine Mint uh 10 ounce bars, for example, and those are usually serialized and very few of those have been counterfeited. But in today's market, I'd be happy with, you know, old Christmas rounds or Silvertown bars or or whatever. Um, And never go over about 10 ounces because the whole advantage of silver is that it's better for barter than gold. But if you buy big silver, if you're buying 100 ounce Engelhard bars, you run into the same problem you have with a one ounce gold coin. How are you going to use that for barter? It's too valuable a unit of currency for barter purposes. That's one of the things I pointed out in my novel Patriots. Right. And, and, you know, you, that's, that is literally, uh, that chapter that you really went in depth in there on, uh, the barter value of silver, 90% silver and, and, uh, the, the whole, uh, trade fair, basically the the uh, farmers market and and flea yeah. market that that whole uh, scene that you had described there and, and went into detail that really laid the foundation for me to to understand uh, it, it was the transition from what I learned growing up about precious metals as that you know this is real money to okay now how do you use it and that chapter was was a great transition there and that's why I've always um, invested in small divisible amounts all the way up to one ounce. And I never went any bigger than that. Uh, because at the end of the day, that is the quantity of silver that you have, uh, that, that is right there. And, and I don't necessarily buy coins for their, their, uh, collector's value, because just as you pointed out, a lot of them are sold for a ridiculous amount over spot, uh, the walking Liberty, coins i think are are you know being almost ten dollars over spot for a lot of dealers that are out there right now um i i just don't see the value there yeah i i have to agree there now in terms of other preparation you know obviously silver for barter is fantastic i'm also a big believer in stockpiling common caliber ammunition because there may be a period of time in the event of a total socioeconomic collapse where even silver is looked down on, but no one's ever going to look down on sealed cans of, you know, five, five, six. Right. <laughs> that, that's right. going to be, that's going to be, uh, you know, more valuable than gold in a lot of people's eyes because, you know, you can't kill someone with a, a Kruger ant. I guess you could with a slingshot, but, um, <laughs> But, yeah. yeah, you know, five, five, six, seven, six, two, NATO, 30 out six, 30, 30, 12 gauge shotgun shells, 22 long rifle, 45 automatic, nine millimeter parabellum, 12 gauge. You know, that that's going to be really the coin of the realm in the short term in, in the event of a, of a of a full scale collapse. Yeah, absolutely. And And over the years, that has been. Uh, the bulk of my preparation investment, so to speak. I mean, you know, a- after you get all the other basics covered of, you know, shelter and, and long-term shelter, you know, preparing your home, because right. a lot of homes these days, the reality is a lot of homes these days that have been built within the past 30 years are built for power efficiency right. and not long-term sustainability. And so that that's a huge thing. But uh, investment in ammunition is is something that, and, you know, talking about that and, and getting back to the economics, there is no better 
uh, I think, example of the diminished purchasing power of the U.S. dollar than to look at the ammunition market immediately right. after the the fuel market, what we see at the pumps. Yeah, in fact, if if you really step step back or or jump up to the thirty thousand foot view, it's not ammunition that's gone up in value. It's not gasoline that's gone up in value. It's the dollar that's gone down in value. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, you know, and I tell people that with regard to precious metals as well, is that the the value of PMs, you know, whatever the, the metal is itself, the value of, of it per ounce is its value as compared to the value of a dollar. And so right. when, when you look at it, it, yeah. it, it's a kind of a different way of looking at an investment uh, rather than, you know, if, if you look at investments in stocks and bonds and kind of the, the conventional uh, trading market that, you know, we, we think of terms of, of everything as in value in dollars. But then when you think of the value of the dollar as compared to silver or gold or platinum or palladium or copper or any of these other uh, uh, metals themselves, it's a then it, it it becomes a kind of a different way of thinking about things. And then yep. you begin to understand the, its value as a store of wealth. Right. Right. And that's, that's what people really got to think of uh, basically out of multi-generational perspective on investing. Because if you get all caught up in watching the spot price of any given commodity on, on any day, it's just like the people who obsess over their stocks it's going to ruin your life because you're 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 going to be constantly on pins and needles. But if you look at long-term investing, and I lean more toward tangibles. Uh, to get back to your earlier point, when you invest in tangibles, you're you're investing in the intrinsic value of that tangible. And granted, you know, there's different uh, sentiment in the market, you know toward fine art or collectibles or classic cars or precious metals or guns. Yes, that comes and goes and people tend to be fickle about that, but their their long-term intrinsic value is always there. And when you evaluate any tangible investment, you've got to, to basically step back and look at it from a long-term perspective as a hedge on the dollar and Stop thinking in terms of dollars, but start thinking in terms of the value of that tangible in and of itself, because the dollar is only going one way and that's down. It's just a matter. Is it going down quickly or very quickly? And right now we're entering the very quickly stage. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Take, take a multi-generational view on all of your investments, lean toward tangibles and you'll be safe in the coming inflationary recession or depression. A hundred percent agree on that, you know, and here, here's another thing that I think a lot of people, especially in my generation, don't necessarily think about, uh, you know, because I, I'm in my mid thirties and, you know, kind of, I've been, you know, for, for a long time now, because again, the, the influence of my grandparents was very, very strong. And, you know, the, the idea of building generational wealth was very strong, which unfortunately went away with with a, a lot of the, the follow on generation after them. But one of the things that that was pointed out to me and something that, you know, was kind of in the back of my mind, but didn't really give too much of a thought to until I started losing family members and seeing the aftermath uh, the economic aftermath of that, of death taxes and inheritance taxes and, you know, the, the government, who knew that a government would tax you to die uh, and and then come after inheritance. And now we have socialists who, you know, the, a long time uh, plank of Marxism and, and what Karl Marx argued for was this idea of coming after generational wealth. Because that that was how a, a uh, according to him a bourgeois society maintained itself was generational wealth. Well, when when you're 
when, when you're talking about a hedge against government tyranny, if I have a certain quantity of gold or silver, which has historically, biblically, you look back at it, it's always been considered money. There is no society on earth that is not considered gold and silver to be money. And so if I hand that off to my kids, I'm not necessarily handing them off a fiat currency or, you know, whatever else that I may have accrued that could the, the government could potentially come after. Now, they, they could come after gold and silver. They, they could do that. But if I have that and there's little record that I have these things and I pass it on to my kids, that could be a potential way to hedge a tyrannical government, which we see increasingly every single day we're being beat over the head with this. That's a way to protect my kids. That's a way to protect my grandkids and keep our generational wealth. Absolutely. Um, if you look at the. The, the, from the multi-generational standpoint, the handoff of precious metals is basically it's in, in the view of some bureaucrats might be a, a taxable event, but from a practical standpoint, again, if you bought it privately, it really isn't a taxable event. It's just, you know, one for you, one for you, and one for you type event uh, following the, the death of a, a patriarch of a family. The, uh, the advent of a electronic dollar, though, is going to turn every transaction that's dollar denominated into a t potentially taxable transaction. They're going to have right, you know, right now with with uh, paper currency or with cryptocurrency, you have essentially a, an opaque transaction to the government when those change hands. With a government issued currency, electronic currency, they are going to have a completely transparent view of what's going on. And if governments run into a tight spot, they tend to get grabby. And if they have a electronic currency where they're tracking every single transaction, they can conceivably tax every transaction. And from a social credit scoring standpoint, if you are deemed to be politically incorrect, they could literally zero your the balance of your electronic account and in the blink of an eye, the flip of a switch. You you go from you know maybe having a normal life to being a penniless pauper overnight. So by all means hedge into tangibles because that's where you're going to maintain privacy even once we have an e-dollar or whatever they're going to call it. Right. And and that's coming. I mean, that that is set in stone. The, the die is absolutely cast on that. And I think it's a theory that I have. I, I can't necessarily back it up with, with anything that I've seen in black and white. But from a strategic standpoint, this might be the only way that they can combat or at least control hyperinflation, because if if everything becomes digitized, they don't even have to do like what we saw in the Weimar Republic or Zimbabwe is another uh, good example, or the collapse of the Mexican peso, where they had to turn around and issue new currency that they, they were literally dropping zeros off of. Right. You know, in, in a situation that you described in Patriots where they they were literally issuing new $200 bills that were blue. And, you know, you, you it's, it's so funny because you you described that almost 20 years ago. And then right after that, we started having blue $100 bills come out. I mean, it, it's just to me, it, it's uh, I, I don't know. The, the digital currency is, you know. To to put it mildly, it it has shades of the mark of the beast to it to me, um, and I tell you that that that's to me digital currency is not money. Um, I know there, there's a lot of people that are that are big and, and very bullish on cryptocurrencies. 
I'm really not. And I know a lot of people have made money off of it. And and some of them, when they timed that market, either by luck or strategy or whatever it was, it did pretty well. Uh, I don't know if, if that ship has sailed or, or whatever, but for me, tangibles is, is so much more of a smart decision, a long-term decision, and it requires no batteries. Yeah. I, you know, I've have held some cryptocurrencies over the years. Uh, most of them, you know, when I, I first got into Bitcoin, it was less than $10 per full Bitcoin. And now we're looking at 44000 But um, the thing to keep in mind is once the, the Western governments start issuing their own cryptocurrencies, they're going to de- declare war on private cryptos. They're going to look at those yep. as competition. So either by taxation, cracking down on the uh, crypto trading companies, or just plain making, uh, holding cryptos that aren't declared illegal, they they basically don't want the competition. They're going to try to gain a monopoly on electronic currencies. They'll make it very difficult, if not illegal, to hold cryptos, and they're going to want to make all of those private crypto transactions government knowledge, uh, either through controlling the trading houses, you know, the crypto exchanges, or or whatever. Count on it, folks. So if you hold crypto right now, you ought to seriously consider diversifying out of crypto and into tangibles, whether it's productive farmland, guns, gold, silver, ammunition, or whatever. Don't rely on cryptocurrencies thinking that's that's the uh, you know the, the magic bullet that's going going to save you. Be diverse. Get into tangibles. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more there. I mean, it, and what you're saying about uh, cryptocurrencies becoming competition, we kind of saw the beginning of that, ironically, from all places, El Salvador, uh, mm-hmm. which made Bitcoin a uh, official sec- uh, secondary money system. And uh, Venezuela experimented a little bit with electronic currency uh, using a a petroleum backed uh, electronic currency back during uh, the height of of their economic crunch in 2018. I had reported on that on uh, up up on American Partisan, which was fairly interesting. Um, And that kind of developed its own underground economy as well. But El Salvador did this as a challenge to the U.S. dollar. And they were very explicit about that. The president of El Salvador is a young guy. I think I, I don't think he's quite 40 years old, or if he is, if he has hit 40 yet, he, he's not much older than that. And he, he's literally saying, you know, we're, we're going to challenge the U.S. dollar. I mean, they, they've, uh, the U.S. dollar is, has kind of been the bully pulpit in Central and South America. And I, I see cryptocurrency as, as a way of challenging that. And it's a way that we can do it effectively without having to purchase something else uh, as a, a uh, intermediate trade medium. And so th- that was what they did. So they, they, that's absolutely correct. And that's the next logical transition for a government gone rogue or a government that is looking to consolidate power when it has its authority challenged like ours does today. Right, right. So folks need to be ready for that. And of course, you know, with all this talk about tangible investing, we need to back up just a little bit more and talk about food storage, because if you're not eating, <laughs> you're not surviving. So it's really right. important that, that people also lay in a good supply of storage food. And as I often point out in my writings, it's important to have extra for, for both barter and for charity. Charity is very important. And you don't want to be in a situation where you see, you know, friends or neighbors starving. So stock up in depth on long term storage food and buy it now because we're already looking at 15 percent plus inflation in the country, uh, even higher. If you look at things like beefsteak and uh, gasoline, 
and ammunition. Obviously, inflation is running much higher than that in a lot of sectors. Why storage food now while it's readily available? If, if we see the war in Ukraine widen into a regional war, for example, the supply of long-term storage food that's in the supply chain is just going to disappear overnight. And suddenly all those long-term storage food makers like Mountain House and vendors like My Patriot Supply or whoever, you know, uh, they're going to be sold out and they're going to start building backlogs that stretch not just into months, but years to fill orders. It's actually a pretty thin market. There's not that many companies that make foods with a 30-year shelf life. So you can't just like, they can't just like triple or quadruple their production overnight. It's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, we saw that in farms. Yeah, there's there's no way that, that they're ever going to have uh that that capacity ramp up within just a few weeks it you know you don't build huge freeze dryers overnight just doesn't happen right you know and 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 i didn't mean to step on you there but august and farms i mean that when when you said that that immediately popped in my head you know i'm good friends with bob griswold uh it owns ready-made resources i I am as well he's he was actually the original advertiser for my blog it's survivalblog.com bob is a fantastic guy he He, is he really walks the walk he doesn't just talk the talk i've i've stayed at his home uh he he really is a squared away individual in a lot of different ways uh oh yeah He's he's oh, right. Yeah. God, he's um, he he's offering products at reasonable prices, and he's very discerning about what he keeps in inventory. He doesn't sell junk. He sells the good stuff. Whether you're talking night vision equipment, or for or, or food storage, or whatever, it's all top quality. I highly right. recommend. Again, it's ReadyMadeResources.com. Yep. He he. Uh you know, we, he, he talks to me. I mean, he, he was literally, uh, just calling me right now while I was on and I, I had to give him a heads up that, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm doing, doing a podcast with, with, uh, James Rawls right now, uh, because he, he, you know, we're, we're in contact at least three or four times a week, but he, he and he's given me a lot of heads up on, on different things. But when Augustin farms, really put a, a moratorium on their food production and he, he forwarded it over to me. It was August farms um, for a little while was uh, an affiliate advertiser of a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself included. I, I know probably you as well. And they, they sent out a notice to everybody. And at first I thought it was fake because it didn't, it, it just didn't seem right. When I read it, maybe it's a shock value or whatever it was, but said, look, we're putting a moratorium on everything until we can get caught up. And they they allowed no orders. And this was back uh, two years ago, the beginning of COVID. Right. And when, when you know, there, there was a run on everything. And I think that that was a real prediction of where things were going to go. And, and kind of a, for me, looking at it, it that, that was a, a trial run. Okay, you know, this is this is the way things are going to go down. They may stabilize. They may not. But take the notes now, because this this may not may or may not be the big one. But this is a doggone good way to get set up for the big one and learn your lessons now. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, take a a well-rounded approach, folks. You need to. Don't overemphasize one area over another. I often run into this with my consulting clients where, you know, say they're they're a doctor or a nurse and they've got the medical aspect completely dialed in, but then they don't have a good food storage program or they don't have any means of self-defense. Or you have an individual who's a gun nut who has a huge collection of guns but only a you know a few hundred rounds of ammunition at most uh, for each of them, and no food storage or no medical right. supplies. So try to achieve balance in every aspect of your preparations, and then 
regardless of what happens, you'll be prepared to provide for your family. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Hungry people become desperate people. And I want to revisit something kind of on that note. I want to revisit something that that you mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast with talking about uh, the the severe crime coming out of the cities emanating from uh, urban areas. We're already seeing this. I mean, it's been said in, in some estimations that violent crime uh, the aggregate crime rate in the United States is up nearly 200 percent in certain urban areas. The you know, the the common culprits that everybody has in the back of their mind. Uh, New York City, of course, very foolishly, um, you know, which I don't think was a surprise to anybody. But they they get rid of uh, Mayor Sandinista, who, you know, they, they get rid of him. They, they immediately turn around and, and they vote for a guy who's part of the same political party. So you have these people who are throwing trash and everything over on de Blasio's lawn, but they voted for the same political party and they expected some sort of change. And so now you, you have this mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who is, you know, his only claim to fame is that he was a a. Uh, uh, you know, a, a subway cop, making sure people don't jump the gate to get into the subways. He's doing absolutely nothing for crime. They have, you know, the, the police department there, NYPD, unfortunately, uh, you know, this is not this is no longer the police department of of actual gunfighters and peace officers like Jim Cirillo, who, who is a, you know, a, a legend uh, was a legend with the stakeout squad and everything else that actually did put a serious dent in crime, but you're seeing it in Chicago. You're seeing it in New York. You're seeing it in, uh, Eric Gar- or, uh, uh, Garcetti's Los Angeles. You're seeing all of this. And, and the, the DAs in these districts are doing absolutely nothing but exacerbating the larger issue. So, you know, where, where do you see all of this going? Well, I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Unfortunately, during the COVID pandemic, we we coincidentally had the whole Black Lives Matter protests start up. And those were really just Democrat-inspired riots. And at the same time, they were trying to defund police departments and to decriminalize petty shoplifting. And what happened? a much higher urban crime rate. We're we're obviously in a situation where crime has gotten out of hand. It's going to get worse. It's going to spread to the suburbs and even to the rural areas. And people need to be prepared to provide for their own security for themselves and for their neighbors. It's it's just, you know, we're it's going to get medieval. And that's, we need to, to think through all of the aspects of that and communications is is going to be a key factor because we could be in a grid down situation where landline phones and cell phones are not working yet we still need to coordinate security with our neighbors so you need to think in terms of traditional field telephones whether they're TA1s TA312s or or the newer digital stuff or, or old, uh, you could find surplus German field phones, for example, very inexpensively for hardwire communications and some kind of push to talk communications. So you're going to be able, whether you're handing out uh, bubble pack walkie talkies or Baofeng, uh, short, or, uh, regular uh, VHF radios or uh, MERS band radios, some way to communicate with your neighbors because you may not be able to call 911 because there won't be a phone system. And even if you were to call 911, they may be off somewhere else taking care of someone else's problem. So particularly for rural people, it's really important to have push-to-talk communications and certainly field telephones are the most secure the most reliable where you're not going to get jammed and you're not dependent on 
with a TA1, you don't even need batteries. Right. They're sound powered. I and and I wanted to throw out there uh, with the German field phones, they are a hundred percent compatible with the TA312s, with right. the TA1s. If you're using slash wire or uh, WD1 wire, which is is just common uh, communications field wire, even if you have a lamp cord, anything yeah. that's dual strand wire works perfectly fine. Those TA1s are uh, completely sound powered. TA312s can can be completely sound powered, but they work better when you have uh, the the two D cell batteries. Right. Um, you know, and, and those German field phones, because I've had people bring them to class and say, you know, I, I don't know anything about these other than, you know, read on the Internet, I should buy them. And, and like, OK, cool. Well, we're going to set them up. And, uh, you know, it, it's very, very simple to set those up. I mean, if you can if you can wire a battery into your car, if you've ever done that, if you've ever changed a battery on your car, you can plug up field phones. I mean, they're, right. they're it's incredibly not rugged. Heads. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, don't underrate the importance of communications. And the other real force multiplier, of course, is night vision. And it's really absolutely that at least one member of your family has a full up uh, like a PVS 14, for example, night vision monocular that can, can wep- that double as a weapon sight. Uh, that's rated for that. And then buy a few cheap Russian, uh, you know, old Gen 1, Gen 2 uh, night vision scopes as backups. It's really important to have that. If you have night vision and your opponents don't, you are ha- have a tremendous force multiplier. You, you'll, you'll rule, you'll own the night they'll be basically uh, ineffective in at nighttime, whereas you can have pretty much close to full effectiveness as if it was daytime. So don't overlook that, folks. I know it's real fun, you know, to have a pile of AR-15s sitting there, but I would much rather have just one AR and a night vision scope than a dozen ARs. Right. Because, I mean, one man who's properly equipped is easily worth 10 who are improperly equipped and ill-trained, you know. And and I would say, uh, you know, on on that point, obviously, I I agree a thousand percent and then some, but get training. You know, the the last investment you should make, I mean, you know, you you go out and buy an AR-15 or an AR-10 or, you know, you, you get that Glock or that 1911 and whatever you need training you you need formal training i mean before you got a driver's license you had to you had to go you know make sure that that you knew how to drive and learn how to drive somewhere um you know so so you you kind of know the rules of the road but more importantly you know how to actually operate the equipment it, it's the same with a firearm um that I, that proficiency I, I, a couple of times i've been pretty widely quoted as one is saying tools without training are useless and the other is owning a gun doesn't make you a shooter any more than owning a surfboard makes you a surfer oh yeah yeah it's (laughs) that's uh i I don't think that it could be put any better way than that um because i've seen we all know those people who just have a, a mountain of firearms and you know they they get all this stuff and then you you take them out to the range they leave a lot to be desired uh (laughs) as i like to say they're in uh strong need of professional instruction (laughs) i've seen it too but you know those folks are in uh their hearts are in the right place and it is our duty you know, everybody, all of you out there who are listeners to this and everybody who comes out to training and um, is really getting actively engaged, you have to understand that it's your duty to find those people and train them. Don't belittle them because, you know, uh, they have some perceived uh, uh, 
you know, shortcoming in, in one way or another, because we all do, because we're human. It's your job to train those people and employ those people and recognize that we're all on the same side. You know, we're all on the same side. And, and, and uh, you know, that that's why from the training perspective, I always tell people you're training the trainer. Um, I'm training the trainer here because I'm not always going to be around. We're not always going to be around. I'm not I'm not I may not be there standing beside you when, uh, you know, the, when when you need the that knowledge. And so you have to take those quality notes. You have to learn from every avenue possible. Um, and, and be a force multiplier for your community, you know, and, um, books like Patriots, the, the Patriots series, uh, you know, surviving the end of the world as we know it. And, and, you know, all your mountain of contribution to the larger community is, uh, you, I, I think that you're an American treasure, sir. <laughs> you're going to give me a swelled head. So please don't do that because a swelled head <laughs> is a big target. Anyway. Well, Thank you very much for having me on. Again, I recommend that your uh, listeners stock up, team up, and train up. Get serious about this. Get right with God first. You know, Jesus is king. And uh, get serious about this, folks, because time is short. Amen. Couldn't put it a better way, brother. Thank you. For being on, for sharing a, an hour of your incredibly busy life. James Wesley Ross, survivalblog.com should absolutely be in your daily news feed. God bless you, sir. God bless you and all your listeners. <laughs>